You didn't tell me. You got divorced. It is. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm doing better than. I was gonna say I'm doing better than most Godzilla fans who just make up relationships in their mind. Hell yeah, they just jack off. <laughs> <laughs> Giant bullshit is the most listened to podcast in the country. 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 I am out of the well, by the way. Oh yeah, the well episode <laughs> from a while ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. Michael, what are we doing in this well? Well, well, well. Look who's found themselves at the bottom of my private well. I just have to say, Matt, f*** you. F*** you for putting me in that well. well. Actually, for putting me and Travis in that well. F*** you for doing that to us. That was cruel and unusual and rather smelly. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I ate your f***ing ice cream. Yeah, f- you for f- Matt for doing that in real life to real people who could have been hurt. Right, exactly. F- you, f- Matt, for, and you know what? I can say f- Matt because Matt's not here. So fuck. Mm-hmm. I'll never listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never listen to this. Um. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I did this because Matt's on vacation. He's about to not be on vacation, but it's still okay. But for the first time ever, I didn't know if I wanted to to ever do a solo review, you know, for a movie with another person outside of Matt, just because I, mm-hmm. the whole kind of uh, appeal to me when we started is that we we had both been, um, we had lived very similar lives. We had even like we had the same like editions of DVDs and stuff. We were about the same age. We were introduced to these movies around the same time. Uh, but we only got to like discuss these movies as adults, even though we lived in the same town. And so that was like kind of fun to to go through the whole series with him. Um, but you know, in in terms of like the more obscure stuff, we don't particularly have any like sentimental attachments to it. And with these Showa movies, they're like there's so fucking many of them. What I'm basically trying to say is, like, I don't think he's going to give a shit if he's missing out on a couple of these, because honestly, you're just kind of taking (laughs) elements from other pre-existing movies to cobble this movie together. He's pretty much already seen it, basically. But but what Showa movie literally has Batman? What other Showa movie do you literally get? I don't know. Can we we just just say that this is... (laughs) Bats from Hell. Can this, can this be a part of the Batman cinematic universe where uh, this is some kind of weird precursor to the Batman movie? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. But Yeah, the um, Batman, the can, 60s Batman movie? Yeah, the 60s Batman movie. This is the precursor to that, yeah. Yeah, that's... So essentially... This is the Joker's so origin story. Uh, exactly, yeah. Cause so, so Adam West Batman got his powers from the DNA... Uh, extracted from one of these Batman. Mm, very interesting. That is that is the origin story of Adam West Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> the undefined until now origin story of Batman. 
Right. But yeah, I did, you know, I saw those people with their big, you know, schnozzes on, you know, they kind of looked like donkeys with wings. Really kind of terrifying, honestly. Uh, but, you know, I saw them and, uh, you know, I rewatched a little bit of the movie today just so I didn't forget anything. And, you know, when I saw it, I was like, fuck it, Batman. You know, that's what I saw. That's what I thought not, when I saw them. Fuck it, Batman. Not truly, not, not truly terrifying in a, oh God, it's going to kill me kind of way, but terrifying in a, oh God, they went with that kind of way. Um, so that's, that, that's how it was terrifying. When I say terrifying, I mean, like, I imagine like, uh, you go to the bathroom and the door, you know, in the middle of the night and the door shut and you're like, I don't usually leave the bathroom door shut and you open it and fucking that thing, you know, is sitting there in the dark, just screaming, uh, you know, that's terrifying. That's terrifying. Creature design is something you don't like to look at. And I certainly didn't like to look at those people. Yeah, I mean that's that's weird. I I didn't do my um my research here, which I'm doing now, but I didn't see who did the special effects for this movie. Do you know off the top of your head? Uh Subaraya did. Uh special effects it says uh it says on Wikizilla, which I know is not the be all end all authority either, mm-hmm. but it says that it was done by E. G. Subaraya. Let's yeah. see what Toho Kingdom he must yeah, have let's been, see what uh, Soul Kingdom says, too. He must have been doing Ultraman that week or something, because the effects, uh, or at least monster-wise, the effects fucking sucked in this. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was a little bit... Um, I was a little bit impressed by the Griffin, but although I'm kind of sitting here wondering they couldn't afford to just borrow a real lion. I know they can't chop... I, don't, I know they can't mess with a real lion, but they could have at least put a real lion in the cage before they dissected it. I don't know. That's what I would have I, done. Yeah, I agree. I think the lion looks terrible. I mean, it's it's very stuffed animally, which is very weird because none of these movies that I've seen from this time period, from these same group of creators, none of them have had that problem. They're all, you know, you could say they're too rubbery or whatever, but, like, none of mm-hmm. them have looked, you know, like a fucking stuffed animal. It's it's just it's odd that they had that you know it looks like a muppet. Yeah, you it know, is. A little I wouldn't odd. call this. It's definitely far from their best, but I I do want to say that special effects wise, there's an explosion. The uh, the eruption of the volcano in the beginning is hands down one of the coolest explosions I've ever seen in a movie. Very weird that it's in this movie, but it looks fucking crazy. I don't know how they did that. It's like actually coming out of the water. You know the one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I know it. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it looks it looks gr- like the special effects themselves outside of just, say, the con. I think it was supposed to be a condor mm-hmm. uh, outside of the lion and the condor and the bat and, and, and the and the. Oh, God, I forgot about the rats. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the, the rats looks like a Power Rangers villain. But uh, outside of that, all the other special effects look great. Even those uh, even those shots where it's obviously uh puppets the the puppet people flying mm-hmm. with their little jetpacks even those look halfway decent i was a little bit impressed by that i thought yeah. i thought for sure that it was gonna look like crap but no it, that looks good um i don't know if i don't i was gonna ask you before we got started on special effects but would you call latitude zero a obscure movie because it was it, it is in it is official like Toho canon Toho produced it was co-produced with an American 
uh, as an American production. And then apparently just Toho got pissed off at the producers and took over the project themselves and then finished it. But, you know, I don't know. Would you call it more one of the more obscure movies in, in the Toho canon or the Toho catalog? Yeah, definitely out of the Toho catalog. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, I guess there is an argument to be made that because Toho is involved that it's not that obscure. Uh, you know, it's got Takarada in it. It was directed by Ashiro Honda. Uh, it was written by, who was it? Fucking Shinichi. Uh, Shinichi Sekizawa, Sekizawa, I think, wrote it. So, I mean, you've got all the main players from that era. You've got all the you've got all the makings of a I guess typical Toho movie with the potential to make a good movie because the concept behind I feel like the concept behind Latitude 0 where it's this team of explorers and they get uh, they get into an, uh, uh, an accident and they're brought to this mysterious uh, utopia or no they're I'm sorry they're brought upon a mysterious submarine that takes them to a uh, utopia underneath the sea. It is a very, it's a really interesting concept. Yeah, I would say interesting had it not been done several times on Star Trek <laughs> at this point. <laughs> uh, this felt like, which I'm a big Star Trek fan, especially right. the original series. I've watched a lot of Star Trek, and even though it did feel like it was heavily borrowing some things from Star Trek from you know contemporary Star Trek for the time I still appreciated that because it reminded me of Star Trek um, and they also had some good actors Joseph Cotton uh, have you seen he was in uh, actually he was in a lot of really good movies he was in the third man from 1944 1949 shadow shadow, shadow of a doubt. doubt citizen Ca yeah I don't know my Hitchcock as well as I know you do but he was also in um he was also in Citizen Kane, which is really interesting. Yeah, I um, I saw Citizen Kane, and I have Citizen Kane, and I don't remember him being in it, but it's been a while, yeah. I guess, since I watched it. Yeah, I mean, but he, he has a... I'm looking at his filmography here, mm -hmm. and he has a pretty a pretty decent... Uh, you know, a feel a pretty decent filmography, a feel pretty decent catalog under his belt of like he does a lot of these um more uh, romantic films. I wouldn't say I wouldn't. Yeah, more romantic dramas. I'll say those. Uh, he does a lot more of those, and he looks like he's done a few like mystery films and like I think one. Or, I'm looking at it here, like one or two like spy thriller type films. But you mm -hmm. know, he has a pretty decent catalog under his uh, under his belt. So. For him to be in a movie like Latitude Zero was, I feel like, maybe a little bit of a downgrade in a way. I don't know. Yeah, it looks like he was in about five or six Orson Welles movies, three Hitchcock movies. Uh, he was in Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, which is like a cult classic, like, psychological horror movie. And then Soylent Green, which... He was in Tor Tor Tora, Airport... Because I've seen Tor Tor Tora. Mm -hmm. He was in uh, Airport 77. I've never seen that one. I ha he was in Lady Frankenstein. That one, that movie is ridiculous. It's so weird that he's in this. It is weird. No, it is weird. It, it, but he has he has one of those faces where you ever just look at an actor and you're like, I know that guy, but I can't place that guy mm -hmm. uh, because he kind of looks he's he looks like an actor. I know it sounds weird because all these people are actors, but he looks like he could be an actor. 
but he has sort of that every man face. Like he just, yeah. a very generic white guy, generic white guy face, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen shadow of a doubt enough to know him, but it, it, it did take me a few minutes to be like, okay, so that's him, you know? And I guess maybe I'm used to him being like, you know, kind of a, a shady guy. Cause in that movie he plays like a guy who's supposed to look normal, but he's like been like murdering widows i think so this whole movie i was like you know something's up with him and they just played it straight the whole time you know he was a good guy yeah it's odd to me and and it's just i don't know it doesn't seem like he was having a bad time it's just it's so strange that him i don't know the whole thing the whole thing is strange because i'm seeing like directors and writers people i know from you know japanese crew american cast mm -hmm. that i've seen in other stuff I don't want to say it doesn't work, but it it does feel like very like kind of stilted, you know, just as a as a whole, as a whole. I'm not saying like performances are bad. It's just like the whole thing is kind of like uh, not sticking the landing. It's a fascinating it's a fascinating little movie because you have uh, a couple of very prominent Toho actors in this in I'm going to I always butcher this guy's name. Akiko Harada and Akira Takarada, who just passed away. Uh, you have those two guys in this movie, and they're very squarely in that Toho camp, or like Godzilla fans, kaiju fans of this, like genre fans for Japanese media will know these guys. And what's fascinating about it, especially for, for Takarada, because he played a pretty... Uh, a big role in this he's doing his own lines in English and that's something that we never get to see of him um, now granted it's phonetic English it's a little bit broken English but it's still it's still good it's still you know more than what you're I guess if you're not used to these movies or if you're not you if you're if you're kind of coming into this movie blind it's probably better than what you would expect it to be mm -hmm. I just expected everybody to be dubbed you know what i mean i figured that the japanese right. people would just be dubbed over because i mean that's what they always did with the american people so it was very like whoa holy shit did he actually just say that yeah um and it, it really like wasn't that bad like uh you know godzilla versus biolante or shin godzilla like when the japanese people start speaking english it's like what the f oh they're speaking english no it's like i realized that yeah. takarada was speaking english and i was like oh cool <laughs> it just sounds a little weird but I can understand him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, he spoke like any movie where he does speak English, he does speak pretty good English. And you, you've, um, I guess that's, he, he was a, he was an actor that had a very long list of, of films under his belt as well. Like he was the, the Japanese version of Clark Gable, uh, or, um, any leaning, like he was the, he was the leading man in Japan. And for this genre too. Yeah, for sure. And I was just, I was watching a, a little bit of a, a, a live stream last night with Matt from Monstrosity's vlog, and they were doing kind of a, a an in-memoriam of uh, Takarada, and they were going down this list of all these accomplishments and all these movies that he'd done, and it's it's a really long, it's a really long list of just, and a lot of not kaiju movies. Like there are some movies on there I want to watch now because, yeah, the the Godzillas and the Mo and Godzilla versus Mothra and some others are great, but you know I, I want to see like his ma I want to see his acting chops outside of just the genre stuff. Mm -hmm. um, 
So that that's that was that was fascinating. But yeah, to bring it back to this movie, it was really interesting to see some of these Japanese actors actually speaking English. When you, when you're right, Matt, they you would assume that they were they would be dubbed over in like very clearer English because this is a what is this, this is a Saperstein film as well. I think UPA helped uh, helped on this one. So UPF. it's not UPS. out. It wasn't UPA. UPA. <laughs> UPA. Yeah, don't fuck me up here. Uh, <laughs> it's not out of the realm of possibility that they wouldn't just dub over them just for the sake of an American audience being like, oh, why does he sound weird? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I mean, for the time, like, that was just, like, status quo everywhere, not for just American movies, but, like, you know, right. the Japanese movies, like... Uh... Well, even in your in your favorite movie, King Kong Escapes, they dubbed over Linda Hamilton. Uh, Linda Miller. That's what I don't know why I, th- I don't know why I said Linda Hamilton. Linda yes, Miller. They did, yeah, they did. Okay. They dubbed over her in uh, both versions. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Rhodes Reason. They dubbed is, over him. Which is so weird because both of those people could act and they could speak. I just don't understand why. I, I'm I'm sure there's there's been other. I think our friend Nathan has done a, a conversation on this, but what he said, I have no idea of why they dubbed over them. But it. But I say that to 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 bring up that it's not out of the realm of possibility or it was in the norm, I guess, for even American actors to be dubbed over because that's just what you did. You had mm-hmm. a, a list, you had a list of approved voices or voice actors that may not look good on camera, but they had nice voices that dubbed over characters and that's just what they did. So, you I, know, it is what it is. It sucks. I was just, I was just saying it is what it is. It sucks. But you know, if that was, that was part of the that was part of the genre at that time. I had the privilege of actually asking Linda Miller why they dubbed her over, uh, so I got the answer straight from her. And in her case, um, it had to do with the contract okay. that she signed, um, and she was very new to acting at that point. She was very young, and she was also uh, in Japan because her father was in the military, and so. You know, the move to do there was I think you would get paid a little bit more money by having a stipulation in your mm-hmm. contract that you also get to do the voice of your character because um, mm-hmm. the whole movie had to be dubbed over for English. You know what I mean? Because the only audio that was kept from the original right. production was the Japanese. So, you know, Rhodes Reason had to dub over his lines. Um, and she just didn't know to make that stipulation in her contract. So the one that she signed, she was making less money so that they could get somebody else to use her voice, and I might be fucking that up, but from what I understand, that's what she told me. I have a screenshot of it somewhere. Yeah, but to to bring it back to Latitude Zero, it is it is a little bit of a weird thing to see these actors actually speaking English, which is mm-hmm. a, which is a rare treat in and of itself. Um, but the whole concept behind Latitude Zero is this idea of utopia, and it's like we said, it's been done before. It was done. <laughs> in several episodes prior of Star Trek, like this movie does have, this movie does have like very 1960s Star Trek vibes to it between like the set pieces and the costumes, like those gold jumpsuits, my God, mm-hmm. uh, the, mm-hmm. and, and the sexy girls and everything that's going on there. It does have a very like 1966 Star Trek, uh, aesthetic to it, which, you know, I feel like it adds to the charm in a way. Like I like those old 1960s sci-fi movies where everything uh, is just so absurd, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just it's just it's bonkers. It's out of the box, and I, I just love it. And like Latitude Zero, I like Latitude Zero. I liked it more 
excuse me, I liked it more than what I expected to. Uh, I, cause like I said, I, I think I said this before we started recording, I watched this movie probably a little over a year ago and I didn't even make it all the way through it. I watched it on a whim when it was still on Amazon prime and I probably went to bed like middle way through. So I didn't even get to the, like the Griffin yet for the, yeah. for the film. So I had no, I had no clue. Uh, well, I, I take it back. I did know that there was a, a monster, there was a griffin in this movie because it's on the box art and it's on some of the posters, but I didn't ne- actually see it in action because I never took the time to go watch this movie. It, it, it's a really silly film, but it's entertaining at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like when I was younger and learning more about like, like I think when, when we're all younger is when we're first introduced to Godzilla and then we sort of, move on for a while and when we come back we're sort of taking inventory in a way we're like what have i seen Mm -hmm. what's out there one big thing from in my childhood was i i never knew that godzilla versus king kong was a real movie or king kong versus godzilla i just thought that was like an online thing like uh Mm -hmm. trunko have you heard of trunko I have heard of Trunko. I've never watched it, or I've never seen it. I've I've heard I've heard that name before, but I think it's like an urban legend. Anyway, I I don't know. I would just find like shit like that on the internet that didn't really exist, but be like, oh, you know, this is in my mind, but not in the world. When you and I were growing up, you're a little bit younger than I am, but when but it's the same. But it's the same case. Um, When we were growing up, we didn't have access to the internet the way we do now. We can't Mm -hmm. just go back and look for these really obscure films uh, because I was in a, I kind of did a similar thing where I'd watched all of, I came back to the, the Godzilla movies and the Kaiju stuff after a very long hiatus. And then after I finished all the, after I rewatched all the movies and saw all the stuff and I'm like, okay. So what else is out there? So I started watching Ultraman and started seeking out like all these other things that were either produced by Toho or Katakawa Daiei Katakawa. You know, those little, those films that don't get talked about a whole lot. And there are some gems there. Um, Frankenstein Conquers the World, which gets talked about a lot. I'm not saying it doesn't, but Frankenstein Conquers the World is one of my favorite non-Godzilla movies. It's still Toho, but it's it's one of my favorite non-Godzilla movies. It's a lot of fun. The special effects are great. But yeah, I, I agree that it is like a, a almost like a little treasure in there. Um, I'd put it above some stuff on the same level, I guess, like uh, Baron or like um, uh, Rodan. I know a lot of people like Rodan. I know it's like an extremely popular movie, but I've never, never been a Rodan fan, uh, and I liked this a lot better. But you know, in in the same way, like when we're in that period where we're taking inventory of what all is out there, this still falls pretty short on the list because you find out, like for a long time, I didn't know that Mothra was in it, it its own movie before Godzilla, and so you know you find out about the Mothras and the Rodans and. King Kong escapes and where the gargantuas and stuff. And then way down the list, you have like, you know, Latitude Zero, Mysterians, fucking Atragon, Matango or whatever. Stuff like, like all that is like, you know, it's in its own category of like C or D list hidden pseudo kaiju movies. You know what I mean? Like they almost feature monsters out of obligation you know, rather than like focusing around them, like most of the popular ones do. Um, the idea 
that a mad scientist is making his own monstrosities. So you could probably mm-hmm. do something. You could you could spin off of that if you want to, but I don't know if the monster thing. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that that was some mandated thing from a producer that there had to be a monster, especially with Toho being more involved in the end. And I didn't think about it until you said something about it not being a real lion, but it definitely seems like they had how could done... you not think it was a how could you not notice it was a real lion sir? no 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 that's uh, not what i mean it's oh, not what i okay mean. all right no, i was like are I was you saying, fucking blind no about you saying it should have been a real lion because i was like you yeah, know yeah so. obviously because like i was also thinking when i watched it i was like why aren't they just using rats like real rats on miniature sets like wouldn't that be cheaper than building <laughs> funny like five rat costumes human size glad <laughs> they didn't i love the giant rat people uh but <laughs> You know, in regards to the to the lion thing, they absolutely did pre-production, which you can't convince me otherwise now. They absolutely did pre-production thinking they were going to have a lion because the griffin never moves. It moves like once. They absolutely storyboarded yeah. that shit thinking that it was a real lion they were going to have <laughs> because it sits, well, that just, it sits on a rock for 20 more... minutes. That would have just made so much more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, even if they, even if they had a trained, if they just had a trained lion, you put the lion in the cage, and then when it comes time for Doctor Malik to dissect it, you throw the the puppet on the table and let him exactly. dissect the puppet. Like that's exactly. what I that's what I would have personally done. But I guess they couldn't get their hands on a real lion. Although I just don't necessarily, be, I don't maybe believe that. Maybe it was maybe it was a rush production. I have no idea. But like, it's it seems like a really silly thing to harp on. But I just really wish there was a real fucking lion in this movie and not the and not the Griffin. Um, I'll agree with like, you on that. Yeah, because like you said, the the lion just sits the the lion just sits there on top of the rock and they try to hang a lampshade on. It's like, she's not moving. She's not doing what she's told, Mm -hmm. you know? So you're right. I think there probably was supposed to be a real lion that they're going to tape some wings to and let it sit on a rock somewhere. That would have been awesome. I mean, yeah, it would have been fine. Yeah. I would have liked it. There was like an original star Trek episode where they had some, it was like an alien. It was like very obviously a dog, like a little dog Uh in a costume. I can't remember what the episode was about, but I remembered they show that like not even ashamed of it. They're like, yeah, they had the um, alien. (laughs) They had the, like the little thing on top of its head that looked like googly eyes Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. It was really fun. I don't know, but, but they totally Mm -hmm. could have just done a real lion in this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe blue screened it at the end when you have the Griffin attacking the sub, uh, attacking the black shark, which sounds incredibly more cool than what that thing actually ended up being. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, they could have totally just blue screened a lion in there. Or if they wanted to switch back and forth to the suit, they could have done that too. But I, yeah, that, I think they should have had just a real lion or even like real rats. Like they could have done real rats, I think. And then mm-hmm. just for the, for the scene where they had to burn the fucking thing alive, you know, burn the suit, I guess. I don't know. Burn the puppet. Yeah. Uh, miniatures, beanie babies. The beanie babies. Yeah, burn the beanie babies. There's mm-hmm. your there's your pull quote for the episode. Burn the beanie babies. I do I did love that this movie had a, a scene, you know, where giant rats are disintegrated in uh in a pit of purple acid. That is cool. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. I don't have anything else to say about that. It's just cool that you get to watch rats disintegrate in acid. <laughs> uh, that's a cool thing to happen in this movie. Uh, I pulled mm-hmm. some of my favorite quotes from the movie. Okay. Uh, there's three of them. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'll just let you listen to them and, uh, you know, I'll get your thoughts, see if they got you as amped as they got me. <laughs> okay. Now that's a pretty cool quote. Uh, a pretty cool sound clip is the the name of the folder I would put that in on my computer. Pretty cool sound clips. Uh, but yeah, that's you know, awesome. You know, broken what, English. What exactly? Please what don't exactly, kill my father. Please don't kill my father. That's mm. what that said. You know, for some reason I thought it said please don't touch my dog. Uh, probably because we just got done talking about a dog, but it kind of just sounds like, please don't touch my dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> please don't touch my dog. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's really terrible. I'm not racist people. I promise. It's fine. Um, I don't think it's racist to do an impression of somebody with an accent. I think if you're doing a generic accent, there's an argument right, yeah. to be made that it is racist. But if you're impersonating one person, yeah, I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, the most famous example I can think of is the lady from that clip I just played. Uh, she's a pretty famous <laughs> Japanese figure. If you're doing an impression of her, I wouldn't call that racist. Oh. Okay, here's the oh next boy. clip. Here's the next okay. clip. It can't be a beast with a brain of a human. <laughs> I don't think it comes across in the audio, but that was so fu- <laughs> It's like a sweaty guy, and he's like being held by these bat people. And, you know, he just watched Cesar Romero cut open a stuffed animal. He goes, it can't be. A beast with the brain of a human. Like, that's fucking awesome. Are, well, but still, aren't we all just beasts at the end of the day? Aren't we just all, like, very primal beasts in yes. ourselves? Yeah, and that's, you know, a quote that I think needs to be adapted and reworked into modern pieces of right. fiction. Uh, and then this last one, maybe the dumbest of them all... The late great Caesar Romero. Find Mackenzie and kill him. Kill Mackenzie. Kill Mackenzie. Kill Mackenzie. Kill him. Kill him dead until his body is no longer living. Kill Mackenzie. I love how much he said kill Mackenzie. Such a great... I've said it before. It's one of the reasons why I love King Kong Escapes. A good giant monster movie at its heart needs a good villain. It does, yeah. And that is it's the, like that's the reason why this movie is not gonna, you know, fade from my mind as fast as it probably should, is because he fucking killed it as this guy. You know, I almost wish instead of Caesar Romero, we had the actor who played Doctor Who from King Kong Escapes. I just I just really thought that would have been I I think that would have been a very good good thing. I don't know. Well, I um, like the 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 guy which I forget his name. It's Hideki something, right? Hideo Amamoto. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, he's been in a ton of shit. He was in uh, Yojimbo, Quiet Ann. What's Up, Tiger Lily by Woody Allen. Uh, What's Up, Tiger Lily? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. That's but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, what I love about him is that anytime you see him in a different role, he's playing somebody completely different. You know what I mean? Like, I can't name two of his characters that have... I mean, he played like that Shakespearean dressed uh, noble guy in 
in Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. Uh, he played, like, the creepy-ass uncle in All Monsters Attack. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, he yeah. played that, like, ghost of an old man in GMK. Yeah, in GMK, yep. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, like that you, they just fucking stick him anywhere, and for some reason, Doctor Who was the uh, the only character character, almost, like, they gave him, you know, where he could mm-hmm. actually completely take it was over. The, where he plays, um, he plays typically like outside of King Kong Escapes, he plays sort of the more subdued characters. Mm-hmm. I feel like Doctor Doctor Who was his like very like this over the top villain. Like that one stands out because it is just so over the top. But he typically all the movies I've seen him in have been just kind of this very more quiet, more subdued character. You know, he was the friendly neighbor, like we said in All Monsters Attack. Mm-hmm. He was the the ghost of the old man uh, in GMK. I mean, like typically the movies I've the other movies I've seen him in, it's it, he's just kind of played this very like, minor, just very, minor characters with a few yeah, lines. Like very, yeah, 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 like as like a like a supporting cast member, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, Doctor Who was definitely the one that I remember him most for. Uh, Absolutely. And I, can't look at, I can't look at his photo and just kind of mumber, mumble to myself, Doctor Who, uh, in that really weird, can't tell if it's a Russian or a Japanese accent. Yeah, who played him? Uh, Paul Freeze. I think Paul Freeze dubbed him mm. in, in... Yeah, it was Paul Freeze. Yeah. yeah. Great movie. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Latitude Zero, I think... Uh, I think Cesar Romero did a really good job. No, oh, I liked his yeah, I liked playing, his performance. Playing a similar yeah. character. You know what I mean? I feel like I feel like uh uh Hideo Amamoto uh would have lost a little bit of what made that special if he was playing similar roles, you know what I mean? Because like it's such a peculiarity him and King Kong escapes. It was it was the Joker but less cackly. Oh, in Latitude Zero. In Latitude Zero, uh, to me, it felt like yeah. the Joker, but just less like <laughs> I'm the Joker, you know that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a little bit more sinister, and I and I liked I liked Cesar Romero's character in this. I yeah. like I liked him. I liked him a lot. Um, I love it. At especially, it was another thing I realized when when watching this that I love villains who are terrible at being villains. This guy mm-hmm. ate shit the whole time. I mean, he didn't get a single victory. His griffin didn't work. That lady uh, who became the griffin, she couldn't do anything outside of, like, kidnapping that one guy. He didn't succeed at getting the information. He never killed his enemy. He was just... And he, the whole time, though, he thought he was winning. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. That's, that's yeah. really cool that the whole time he's like, you know, yeah, they'll be dead in five minutes, and he completely <laughs> believes it. He's like, he'll never survive those damned rats, you know? And then five minutes later, he's like, you know, getting crushed by the griffin. But he never he never thought he was going to lose, and I think that's what makes a great villain is like being completely, or, you know, playing that up. Like, I completely think I'm in the right here, even though his only goal is to just kill one guy he went to school with. Because he took his lunch money, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I love a good villain. Like I love, love, love a good villain. Like mm-hmm. I think, I think when, especially when you can have a villain and I'm not saying this is what happens in this movie, but just in general, if you can have like a, a fairly compelling villain 
but also give them a little bit of a story arc that's even better. But in this one, it's just a really interesting. It's just a very over the top villain. Uh, yeah. Between the co- between the mannerisms, the the the, uh, the the lines that he would, the way he delivered his lines, the costumes are absurd. Um, apparently he is a suave ass motherfucker because he's got two women after him and he's such a loser, but you know what? Good for him. It's so cool. uh, I love, yeah, he's got women literally (laughs) fucking killing for him and it's just, it's so great. And I, the thing is in like a post, uh, in like a post Nolan Batman world, I feel Mm -hmm. like. I feel like writers and and movie studios are almost ashamed to have villains who just like are bad for the sake of being bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, every, every villain has to have every villain has to have some kind of nuanced uh motivation that doesn't that straddles the line between are they really the bad guy in this situation right. kind of thing. Yeah, it's every every villain has to be somebody you understand. You know yeah. what I mean? And, like, you know, maybe that was revolutionary in 2008 or whatever, but, like, you know, it's, I don't know, in real life with people you don't like, you never understand them. You know what I mean? The the yeah. fucking crazies of the world are just crazy. And I feel like yeah. that's something, you know, not to say that this movie's realistic in any way, but I think that's what, you know, when you can just have a villain who's, like, completely over the top, you don't give a fuck, you know, I'm evil. Yeah. I want to kill this guy. I've got bitches and I'm 70 years old. <laughs> you know, uh, just evil for the sake of being evil. Yeah. It's so fun. It's so fun to watch. That's by far the best part of this movie. You know, getting to watch him with his big silly uh that what's Cleopatra? What's his his, his <laughs> wife's name? She pulls out like uh, a big cartoon syringe oh, at one sh- point. Oh shit. Um uh, Salandra or something. Cilantro. Cilantro. Uh, Salamander. Mm-hmm. I don't know what her Cassandra. Name. Cassandra. There we go. <laughs> I don't think that's it. That's probably not it, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, we got it's, it. It's we got it's it. Fine. We got, we got it. there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, she was honestly. She was really. I mean, outside of just being like his number one cheer outside of just being his number one cheerleader, she really didn't serve a whole lot of a, a whole lot of purpose. Like they, they built up this one in that, in that first thing, it was like the first 20 minutes, they had this dialogue between Dr. Malik, Cassandra, we'll call her Cassandra because her, her name doesn't, I can't remember her name. Mm-hmm. And then the Japanese woman that's piloting the black shark, you have that kind of jealousy there that, that you could have had some really interesting drama, but but I don't know if that's really what they wanted to put focus on for this movie because mm-hmm. it was just kind of a throwaway situation where you've got the Japanese woman that comes back and she's like, oh, are we going to run away now? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we're going. I need you to wait here in this uh, really creepy room. Which I'm going to lock you away. And for yeah. some reason, it's Kroiga. overkill. Kroiga. Yeah, that's it. Kroiga. I'm going to lock you away in this room that you can't escape from, but... Just for good measure, I'm gonna throw you in a birdcage, just mm-hmm. for the heck of it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to make it appear like I'm more evil, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amount of the the amount of layers to in which you apply the um, the uh, you locking up your enemy, I guess that just makes you more evil. I don't know what I don't know. I'm probably talking out my ass right now, but well, uh, in but that now, case, it worked. He got away with it. You know, he did. Yeah, it's that fine. was the one person whose life he successfully ruined. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's true. Because <laughs> he cut her brain out and put it into the into a beast. Yeah. Beast uh, with the brain of a human. <laughs> what did you think? Uh, okay, so I'll ask you. Do you think this whole movie is a dream? Um, I mean, I, we're led to believe it's not, which I've got... Because I've we're got led to believe that the... it's not. We're, we're led to believe it's not, and that for a hot second I thought it was. But then right. they said, what was it? They got the telegram at the end of the movie that says, oh, uh, $4 million worth of diamonds was mm-hmm. uh, sent to this place. Uh, and this guy is supposed to come pick them up. So right. what it's... was it really a dream or I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the intention there, uh, maybe at some point it was supposed to be like a Wizard of Oz thing. Like you were there and you were there and you were there, blah, blah, blah. Uh because that's basically what happens. But then at the end, they kind of push you out and they're like, no, nah, it was real. He's got the diamond money, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, only serves to bring up more questions because it's like, why didn't they just give him the diamonds straight away? Like why, you know, why go through all this stuff? Like if, if it's real and there's all these people like going in and out of latitude zero from like the real world, why would they need to erase his film? You know, it just brings up more questions, and I feel like more than anything, they just really didn't know how to end the movie. You know what I mean? So they just ended with this, like, eh, eh, eh. okay, it's over. It just feels like it just feels really disjointed. Mm-hmm. Like what what feels the like? Okay, so I if they would have done that, I would have been on board. I would have I would have been on board up until the point where Cesar Romero walks into the room. And that's actually what took me out of it. I'm like, but he's supposed to, if this is not a dream, he's really supposed to be dead. And why are they all working together? This doesn't make a damn bit of sense. That's what actually took me out of it. And he like, he like winks or like smirks or something at him, right? Like he, like he knows it's weird. It's, it really does feel like, what am I supposed to get from this? And like, the the one guy who looks like uh, Akira Takarada's character, mm-hmm. like he's just there, but he's like a different guy. I don't know, like that. Yeah, I, he's the he's the he's the ship captain. He's the ship. Right. Captain. Yeah, he's the captain in that on that ship. It's just that one's weird because like the other people, like Joseph Cotton and Cesar Romero, are only people that he's known from Latitude Zero. But then mm-hmm. Akira Takarada was like, no, he that guy was like. You know, the same age and the same, you know, he met, he went missing like a week ago. Uh, I mean, it's not like, I don't know. I think, I think this movie is at the point where it's like kind of exempt from criticism to that caliber, I think, because I don't think it really was ever meant to be scrutinized to that extent. I guess it doesn't, I don't know, whatever. Do you think that this movie was just kind of then to, 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 to what you just said, to piggyback off of that? Do you think that this movie was just meant as just uh, escapist? Like, it, there's really nothing. It's just kind of empty escapism, I guess. Um, I don't know. My my view on escapist cinema is, uh, you know, I mean, if you want to look at it as like empty escapist cinema, like I'm not, I won't argue with you. But like, mm. a lot of I know a lot of from interviews that I've seen with people involved in these productions is a lot of them really didn't view what they were doing as art. They viewed it as like a job and like work. And, you know, while we might disagree with that, like they were making them for a different purpose, you know, almost. But to that end, I think, 
I don't think it's any less valuable than like any other movie for being escapist. And I wouldn't call it empty. I think it's just, I think it's playing by a different set of rules. I don't even know. I don't think this movie was like really like aimed at children, even though like it was at the time of, you know, children, kaiju movies and stuff. But I, I think this was just, I think this was just like a, a fun movie. I feel like this movie was aimed at, because if I'm remembering correctly at this time, like movies, like spy movies and these types of like adventure mm-hmm. films, they were starting to get very popular uh, thanks to the success of James Bond in the West. And they were supposed to, and they were starting to make their way over into Japan. So maybe like something like this is, is kind of is where they're taking their in something like James Bond or, or any of those like um, spy espionage, those type movies. Um, maybe that's where they're taking their inspiration from and why they wanted to do this movie, but they wanted to kind of uh, wrap all of that in this kind of uh, package of being a sci-fi fantasy. Like, I don't even know if I would call this, Maybe to, I don't know if I would really even go as far as to say, yeah, I guess sci-fi fantasy, because there's really no such thing as, there's really no such thing as a utopia. Like there's like utopia can never be, I just don't think that utopia could ever be achieved. So that is a very like science fiction-y like pie in the sky idea. So yeah, I would say, yeah. So, so this is like sci-fi fantasy, I guess fantasy, the fantasy element is when, is when you bring in the Griffin, I guess. Uh, but the rest of it is just like, and it, latitude it, zero itself is kind of a fantastical yeah. place, you know, outside of the utopia element, like just there being like a place that's like underwater, you know, like a hidden civilization is fantastical. Yeah, it is. So I mean, it's like yeah, it's like sci-fi fantasy. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I I don't know. I was looking on I was looking on a website the other day because I bought the DVD of this. Well, I bought the seller only sent me one disc. This is a two-disc set. Uh, so I only got the English disc for the. I didn't get the second disc that had all like the extras and the cast and crew interviews. We should go to his house like and kill him. I am not condoning <laughs> that. Um, I am not condoning the killing of anyone who has wronged me over eBay, but just saying it really pissed me off. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll think about that. We'll we'll talk about after we'll talk about after we quit recording. So anyway, um, but yeah, I, I ended up ordering this again from another place that shall remain nameless, uh, so that I could get the actual like discs of the of a a better quality uh because what i got was definitely a bootleg it that it felt like a bootleg um Mm -hmm. but anyway all that to say i i think i think it's a sci-fi fantasy like this it's it's a really it's a mish it's a it's a mishmash of a lot of different genres you because you've got kaiju tokusatsu uh, spy mystery espionage type stuff going submarine on. Submarine movie at the time. Submarine, submarine movie. movies was a, a genre. It was, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like, that's what like, Star Trek was born out of. Is like the submarine. You know, two battling submarines is heavily yeah. inspired Star Trek, and I think that kind of wrapped back around. They definitely, they definitely watched Star Trek before <laughs> making this. You know, no shame in that. You know. Which is like as as a as a person who is a fan of classic Trek, I can't hate this movie. No. I can't hate it. I can't hate it because it is there is a level of fanta- of fantasy to it that is in line with what we saw with classic Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And for that, I can't hate it. I don't love it. It's not something I'm going to return to often, but it's something I'm going to watch more often than, say, Matongo, which is just a niche within a niche of mm-hmm. a movie. It's a good movie, but it's still like a niche within a niche type movie. I had a similar thing when I was watching the movie. Like I was like, okay, what am I watching? Like, is it, okay, this is like, you know, an adventure, sci-fi fantasy action kaiju movie you know it just kept the list kept going on and on and on um and uh when i was uh when i watched this on the the totally legitimate archive website uh of course I, i was looking at the tags and you know the tags are just like whatever the uploader puts and like in the tags it was like rats serum uh like just naming griffin like it was just naming like you know, stuff from the script, you know, <laughs> the serum is what killed me because I hadn't even gotten to that part of the movie, but they were like filing under serum and I was like, oh, I guess somebody's going to make some, you know, some kind of okay. potion. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I love potion. And the the thing about the utopia is like, that's, that's so interesting looking back. And I don't want to sound like an asshole. That's very interesting. But it is, it is like... It's weird because it's a little time capsule thing, and start. That's another Star Trek thing. Is they had yeah. the utopia, the you know, oh, we did, we haven't need ra- needed racism for four hundred years, you know, yeah. like that attitude of like money. What is that, you know, like the fact that we're like so far in the future that everybody's just happy is like, you know, I wish we could be that optimistic. I really do, because like even in this movie, they're you know they have Joseph Cotton say like you know they'll figure it out eventually, you know. Humans are going to have to fight, but eventually they'll learn how to live in peace. And now I don't think there's a single person on the planet you could convince that at any point in our history, future or past, that there will be peace. <laughs> you know, complete no, and total I, peace. No, uh, it's um, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to steal this one. For, I'm going to steal this uh, quote from actually Nathan's podcast because he brought it up because I was listening after I watched the movie and after I took a few notes on the movie. Uh, I went back and listened to a couple podcasts about it. I normally don't do that, but this is such an odd movie. I wanted to kind of get some different perspectives. So I'm just going to steal this one from Nathan's show. So you're Mm -hmm. welcome, Nathan. I know you'll listen to this. Um, He quoted Thomas Morell. He says, "For for things will never be perfect until human beings are perfect. So... Thomas, uh, the writer is the writer is talking about the concept of utopia and this concept of utopia, uh, you know, utopia in the Greek literally, it literally means no place. Like it's not like, and, and the writer was trying to debunk this idea that utopia is even possible mm. because there is so much you have to give up to achieve utopia. Uh, and it's just, and we are, we're fallible human beings. We, we, we go to war with each other. We lie, we cheat, we steal, mm-hmm. we politic, we politic with one another. So utopia is this pipe dream that people try to, to work towards and it's never going to happen. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound cynical, but it's just the nature of human beings will not allow utopia to ever be achieved. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just interesting seeing that like media from that time period, like, seeing that like writers and you know presumably people and audiences were kind of under the impression that like yeah eventually we'll we'll be perfect you know this what was i mean what, 19 this was this was 69 69 so this was same year the, as true grit this was 
uh, around the, this was at the height of or around the time of the Vietnam War or when the war was starting, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, so probably, you know, perfect piece, not to quote another, uh, kaiju movie, but perfect piece, this idea of utopia, this idea that, you know, humans should be able to come together and, and live with one another and, and not, you know, succumb to our, uh, beastly urges. Maybe that's what the beast is supposed to Maybe the, the Griffin is supposed to represent the beastly urges in all of us. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm I think you're a hundred percent right. I think that's maybe, what they meant. Maybe, maybe because there's <laughs> always like, I find these Japanese movies in particular, uh, because this is a genre you and I both love. I find like the, the subtext of some of these movies, especially the ones where it's not like hold your hand blatantly obvious, beat you over the fucking head with like the environmental message and mm-hmm. the war is bad and nuclear fallout will kill you. You know, that stuff like when it's, I like it when you can, when you can read a little bit deeper into some of these films and you know, maybe the Griffin is meant to be this representation of the beast within us will never be, will never be tamed. will never be satisfied. We'll never achieve utopia because we're just beastly humans. I think um, uh, Matt likes to talk about this a lot, but uh, uh, Tolkien wrote or said in interviews there's like a difference between, you know, intention and applicability Mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of people like to interpret The Lord of the Rings as like being an allegory for World War One, I think. Uh, Mm -hmm. But he's like, I've never I've never personally heard that, but okay. But he, he basically said, like, you know, no, I didn't mean it to be that. You know, I wanted this to be like purely entertainment, but you know, similar if, to the original the sho- Kong movie. If the shoe fits, we- you can say whatever you want about it. You know, so and I think definitely that is the case with a lot of giant monster movies. And I don't say that to be like an asshole saying like you know, uh, people shouldn't try to read into these. But I think that's why a lot of people like you know really try to read into these, and then they don't get very far. Certain podcasts that won't be named. You know, and these aren't bad or stupid people, but I think you can only get yourself so far with the idea of I'm going to hypercritically analyze the meaning of all of these movies because I I think at their core they're they're meant to entertain, not teach. Um, yeah, at I, least I, most I think of them. There are some movies that are set up to be rife with those kind of those kind of subtexts. Like for example, I was like I was saying just now, like the original Kong film. The original mm-hmm. Kong film, the the creator, the director, and the writer, and the creator of the original Kong film, said in an interview, "I only meant this to be a uh, escapist action movie that people could go to the theater and watch mm-hmm. to escape reality. Like this was an es- the original Kong film was escape from reality because at the time you had the Great Depression and things going on in culture." Mm-hmm. But over the decades, you know, people have read different things into them, like racism, which I can totally get where they're coming from. Like, I yeah. get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. But And there are certain films like King Kong, like the original Gojira and others that are just set up that way mm-hmm. that you can read into them. But when we're presented with a movie like Latitude Zero or um, I'm trying to think of another just absurd movie. I don't know, uh, A Space Amoeba. I don't know. I haven't watched Space Amoeba in forever, and it's top of mind for I just got the record, so it's top of mind for me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so just those kind of more, pop, I guess, pop. I guess we would call them popcorn movies uh, in the West or whatever, yeah. and just those turn your brain off and just enjoy them for what they are type movies. 
I like digging a little bit deeper into these into into these films, trying to find that subtext. But I'm not above just saying, you know what, fuck it. This is just an entertaining movie. I'm gonna enjoy it for whatever. It, I'm gonna enjoy it for what it is, and I'm not gonna read into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's the route I usually go. Don't know if that's right or not. But you know, bringing it back to Latitude Zero itself, I do think in in terms of a lot of these, you know, the the Showa, Toho, you know, these kaiju movies and adventure movies. Uh, the main reason I don't think they're meant to be analyzed to that degree, which, you know, does no harm if you do analyze them, but they, they're they usually very, very blatant with what they want to tell you. And in this, oh, one, in this one in particular, you know, the utopia speech, because, you know, I don't think... I would, me personally, I wouldn't say that this movie is commenting on Utopia. I think they're just stating a thesis and that they're going to leave it at that. Like, Utopia is a thing. Humans aren't perfect now, but they're going to be. I don't know. That's so cool. Because, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of talking in circles, but, you know, Star Trek no, did fine. that. And, it, and it's also, that's just fun to watch. You know, it's not necessarily like, you know, what would the world be like if it was perfect? No, it's like, what do these people in the 60s think a perfect world is you know it's just like all smiles and cigarettes you know it's very cool it's very very cool to see that because that's so far gone now you know you'd never see a movie now that's got like a hopeful message of like you know one day we'll get better you know you've got movies like fucking don't look up you know <laughs> basically saying you know like we're all fucked fuck you fucking you people are stupid. Well, you, you know. know, it's we had a couple, uh, and Travis and I talked about this on Kaiju Weekly. Uh, one of the one of the most recent, like monster, to bring it back to the genre that you know we're both involved in. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the most recent movies that we watched that had a positive message framed in kind of I don't know. It was framed. It wasn't framed as super positive, but you could draw positive things out of it. Mm-hmm. Was a Quiet Place because a Quiet Place is all about you know, it's all about family. It's all about the nuclear family. It's all about like coming together as a family to overcome, you know, insurmountable odds. Um, so it does like the quiet place does have a positive message and it's one of the more Mm -hmm. positive messaged films in the last, I would say 10 years. Whereas, you know, everything is everything in Hollywood, everything, everything that Hollywood shits out now is just sort of like, you're a bad person. Insert, reason here why you're a bad person and the world Mm -hmm. will never get better which is you know love it or hate it i think that's why godzilla versus kong did so well because it was just a Mm -hmm. go to the movies and turn your brain off kind of film where you could have fun with it and not try to read too much into it now that has not stopped people from reading way too much into that movie. Mm-hmm. But back to what we were talking about earlier, it's, I think it's just important to take films at their face value, take them for what they are. Uh, and maybe if you pick up on some stuff, great. If there's, if you're not getting anything out of it, that's like subtextual or, or very deep, then that's fine too. You nothing, every film that we watch does not have to have this, this, allegory for human existence it doesn't it it just Mm -hmm. sometimes it can just be entertaining and that's okay yeah i'll hit the agree button i'll hit the like and share button on that here we are presented with the uh the idea of a yellow bathysphere being lowered into the ocean uh and it's interesting 
from an analytical perspective to see this movie predates the acclaimed Gamera versus Zigra <laughs> by nearly three years. You know, for anyway, they both have yellow bathospheres and it's fucking stupid. I've never heard of a bathosphere until I watched Gamera versus Zigra. Uh, and I fix it. We fixated on it. I don't know if you listened to that review. We just hyper focused on the fucking bathosphere. We were like, why wouldn't you just use a submarine? The submarines existed. Why would you use a bathosphere? And it's really funny, like, you know, seeing another yellow, like, was shit that went underwater just yellow during the 60s? Because it seemed like there were an awful lot of yellow uh, submersible be- vehicles or vehicles. Maybe it was just more, maybe it just looked better on camera, I just assume. Uh, or they really like the Beatles. I guess I can't think of, I've, I've been in one submarine in real life. It was not yellow. I went, in, I went into Pearl Harbor, the USS, I think it was Minute. Yeah, it was me. That was you? Uh, no, I was, we were in, we were on vacation in Hawaii <laughs> once and we went by, we went by Pearl Harbor to, to look at the memorial and everything there. And so they took a tour. Uh, I think it was the USS Wisconsin or USS Minnesota or something. I can't remember which one it is. USS Montana, maybe. Uh, but it's a really, submarines are really interesting. Uh, but no, mine was not yellow. The one we walked through was not yellow either. Travis just randomly texted me. He said, you know. I don't, I, we don't have any evidence to uh, support the fact that, or support the claims that submersible vehicles were yellow in the 60s outside of film and television so i'm willing to bet there is a bit of a conspiracy going on and uh probably goes deeper it probably goes as far back as like the as the as the israeli palestinian conflict i guarantee you i guarantee you that it was mm-hmm. it that's what started it goes as deep as the marianas trench it does yeah for sure for sure. Oh, I, I would I would venture to guess is that conspiracy goes as deep as the hollow earth. Have you been drinking this evening, Michael? Uh, actually, I have been, but not to the degree that it would impair me. Dawn Fry! I've been kicked in the head by a horse a few times. Michael, I'll let you go first since you're our special guest this episode. I'm so special. Thank you, Matt. For, or th- not Matt. Mm. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said Matt. Thank you. Who? Because... Fuck Matt, because um, he's not here. He abandoned us. I agree. <laughs> That's too good. That's too good. He's here. Uh, he's been quiet. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, mm. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I agree. Oh, okay. So you're just going to say, I agree? Yeah, he's got a sore throat. Okay. So, so Matt, you're an asshole. I agree. Matt's got long COVID, and that's one of the symptoms. <laughs> that's one of the- Matt's really a Nazi. In disguise. I agree. He hesitated. He hesitated. Everybody. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if we can trust him on that. Oh boy. Okay. So uh, for I guess this is where I give my what is it, out of five or out of ten. I can't remember. It's out of ten. Don fries. Out of ten. Don fries. Okay. So Latitude Zero is just a really fun movie for this being like my first. Uh, full-length watch of this film i was pleasantly surprised how much i enjoyed it yes it's silly and like campy it's what you would expect from a movie like this but there's a lot of charm to it and i think we we talked about it a little bit earlier where i love the i love the charm of that original star trek series and i think this has it in spades 
uh, between the costumes, the acting, the the over the top, the over the top aspects of the scenery and um, just the different plot points. You know, Dr. Malik, uh, played by Cesar Romero, is fantastic. Uh, and uh, uh, lion dissection. So, I mean, this movie has it all. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and give it, I got to give it, I think, I feel like I got to give it a fair score though. So I'm going to give it, I don't know, six out of 10 Dawn fries, because I would totally show this to somebody. We agree. Okay, Uh, good. I'm glad, I'm glad you agree (laughs) with me, Matt. Good. Uh, yeah, my score, the older I get, the harder it is to rate movies because, that's weird because you know I could I I really did enjoy a lot about this movie, but at the same time I feel like there's a lot of stuff that I'm already forgetting, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't know if the memorability of the movie, you know, I don't know how that should factor in. Uh, I watched uh, the Freshman today. Really didn't like the Freshman, you know. But it's also like you know, so different from this, you know. How do I rank? Anyway, I'm gonna give it a five. But, you know, in the least negative way possible because, like, I'm going to say it it got a five that it really earned, you know, if that makes any sense. I don't know if that makes it actually sound no, worse. No, it makes sense. But, like, I feel like it earned every one of those those five out of ten Don Fries uh, because there was, a, there was a lot enjoyable about this. And I think most of my enjoyability, especially towards the middle part, which you mentioned was, you know, kind of lacking – you know, when there's, like, not really much going on, like, there's not much conflict with the villains, the heroes are, like, not really very active, they're just kind of having things happen to them. Most of my enjoyment from that part just stems from the fact that it feels exactly like several Star Trek episodes that I've seen. It's funny, it feels like the costumes were made before the idea of the movie, so, like, you know, you have people in, you know, rooms that look like a Fruity Pebbles box, you know, and they're wearing gold outfits and like there's that weird ass scene where they're taking a bath together and that like see that was that was really controversial that was really controversial because it was supposed to be like a full it was supposed to be in a full nude scene with the with the lead actress Mm -hmm. but they uh but uh america had just gotten a little bit more relaxed on the rules with nudity so they decided to backlight her instead Mm. which you know they were event they were actually they were actually going to cut that out but they ended up leaving it in anyway um you know it was a weird scene yeah it was definitely a weird scene i don't know it's kind of funny cuz it's just like it's it's one of those scenes where it's almost like you know the movie's being made by like little boys it's like ooh it's a naked woman what does she look like does she have tits i don't know you know like it it feels like way too excited and like it, they've got yeah. like all the the main characters are like whoa like they've never seen tits before and it but it's so funny you know it's only you know they don't make shit like that anymore they haven't made it since you know by the 70s watch fucking the holy mountain you know, you do not see people looking at tits like that in the Holy Mountain. But anyway, it's really, really fun is what I'm trying to say. Five out of ten, it's really fun, really earned every every bit of it. Uh, I love this movie. I think that's a fair score. I think it's I scored it a little I scored it a little bit higher just for the caliber of acting that's just for the caliber of the acting from Cesar Romero and just how this movie embraced the it just it just embraced itself in a way that we don't get now. Like a mm-hmm. lot of movies are a lot, this movie would never be made today 
because I feel like a director or a writer would just, I feel like a director would just be too scared to embrace the, the silliness or the absurdity of, of a movie like this. Yes. Movies are way too ashamed of themselves now, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I agree. And you know, it was tempting to rate it a six because it's also like, if you, if you give something a five, it's almost like saying you didn't enjoy it, but that's not true. You know, you have, you have to bump it up to over halfway to be like, yeah, I liked this, but like, you know, that's why it's hard to, I gave it a six because there's at least one or two other people that I would show this movie to and not be ashamed to do so. That are mm-hmm. not with that are not within like the the sphere of our group or our fandom or whatever like just normie people like I, there's yeah. like one or two people that I would totally show this movie to and that's how I kind of came to that six I started to give it a five as well because it is just kind of a middle of the road you know sci-fi fantasy film um, but just because of the fact that I could I could totally show this to a couple people and and just them enjoy it almost as much as I do. I think that's that deserved an extra point in my book. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely be showing this to Matt to some capacity. You know, I don't know if I'll like buy this eventually and just throw it on one night while he's over, but but yeah, it's it's fun and definitely worthwhile. Uh, so do we want to spend a few minutes and talk about Mr. Takarada? Because this is like this is being recorded the day after we found out that uh, Akira Takarada, you know, died at 87 at, at, at age 87. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for anyone who's not familiar, Akira Takarada is one of the, one of the most, if not the most famous uh, actor within like the Godzilla movies. Now he's done more stuff than Godzilla movies. In fact, his catalog is well more, is way more extensive than his Kaiju stuff. And I'm really looking forward to looking into it. Uh, I think it, one of the movies that uh, Kyle, I was hearing Kyle Yount talk about it today was uh, uh, Iron Finger. Iron Finger. There we go. Um, so that, that's going to be a lot of fun. But yeah, it's just it's just really sad. Like I was really, I was messed up yesterday when I found out that Akira Takarada had passed away. And apparently he had passed away on the 14th. Monday. On the, yeah, Monday on the 14th. Yeah. And um the news broke yesterday and apparently from what I was reading today, um, they were not even supposed to make the announcement until I think until, until later they were supposed to give the, the hmm. family more time and then it got, ended up getting leaked and then yeah. know, here we are. So, yeah, I didn't find out until today. I, usually I don't like to talk about like time sensitive events, but this is like a huge deal. Like, you know, since we started the podcast, you know, not a lot like this has happened. You know, and like you said, he definitely, you know, had more than like the Godzilla kaiju stuff. But like, it's weird. I, I'm i usually not affected by celebrity deaths a whole lot. But, you know, I started thinking like, why, you know, why am I sad? This guy wasn't really in a whole lot of movies. I mean, he was in like the low budget kaiju stuff recently. But like, you know, his death doesn't really affect me. But I'm still like really sad, and I'm like, am I being selfish by being, you know, sad? You know, because you know this was somebody's fucking uncle or something. You know, there's people who have actual reason to be sad, and I'm just like, oh my Godzilla guy died. But like, he's been around. There's so many of us. There's so many. Just look at the podcast. Just look at how many podcasts there are, and all of us, virtually all of us, have been fans since we were children. And I think that's why this hurts mm-hmm. is because we've been watching this guy on our TVs since three and four years old. You know what I mean? Like, this is a guy who has been yeah. around for our entire lives plus 30 years. You know what I mean? This has been a guy who's been basically the face of the early Godzilla movies. Because I, I wasn't even this sad when Nakajima died. 
a few years ago. You know, maybe I should have been, but like seeing seeing Takarada's face, you know, there there's a sense of like you know this guy to some extent. You know what I mean? I think it was because, and I don't think it's selfish to be sad about it either, because I was bummed out. I was bummed out all day yesterday. Um, we were supposed to record this episode yesterday, and that's not the reason why we didn't record. I actually had mm. work to do, but um, but I was just not in the headspace to really. I was just just not feeling it yesterday because it just it affected me. And like and and like you said, I was telling. I think I was telling this to Travis. Yeah, I was telling this to Travis and Nathan and Danny and them. I said, look, I don't get emotional over deaths of celebrities yeah it's it fucking sucked when when betty white mm-hmm. passed away but i didn't get super emotional about it i didn't get i haven't i didn't get emotional because we just lost uh i was a big wrestling fan growing up so we just mm-hmm. lost scott hall um and i didn't get emotional over that either you know i but for some reason just this this takarada him him passing away really messed with me and i think it's because and I think to some degree, the reason why it messes a lot of fans, it's messed a lot of fans up more than say like the death of Nakajima, which is just as an right, important yeah. figure within, within the Godzilla fandom is because Takarada was out there. He was doing these interviews. Like I have seen so many photos come across my Twitter feed and my Facebook feed and Instagram feed of just people, you know, sharing their memories and sharing their photos of Takarada. Uh, mm. you know, our friend, uh, Kim, the Kaiju Kim on, on, tw- um, Kaiju Kim on Twitter and on YouTube shared a really nice video of her me- uh, a nice memory of her meeting Takarada. And it was just really sweet. And he just seemed like a very sweet man. Like any, any interview, anything you saw him in any photo, he just seemed like, he just seemed like a a Mm -hmm. sweet man. Like, that's just what he seemed like to me. Like he loved fans. Like he loved fans. Like he loved his, he loved coming to G Fest and these conventions and meeting fans. And he was, um, and this is something that, this is something that really bugs me about, about, American actors and, and Hollywood is there was that sense of gratitude to the fans coming from yeah. Takarada. Like there was that, there was that sense of, there was just that, that thankfulness he had to be at these events and to be at these meet and greets. And that's, that's what added to the fact that he was just such a yeah. wonderful person because he genuinely loved what he did. Like he genuinely loved, like to listen to him on, um, I listened to a little bit of his interview and his conversation with Kyle Yount on Hell to the King, that documentary, I think it was like a couple years ago, 2018 or 2017, Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, I listened to a little bit of that and I listened to a little bit of him talking and he talked so lovingly about this genre and about the franchise and about the movies that he was in. And don't get us wrong, Takarada was more than just the kaiju stuff. He was, he he was in hundreds of movies. He was in hundreds, uh, he was in hundreds of movies. Um, throughout his career, he was more mm-hmm. than just, you know, the handful of kaiju stuff that he was been in and the end of, and he's been in a few independent stuff. Um, he was actually, he just, before, he just recently filmed a part in another movie that's coming out. I think it's April 1st would technically be the last movie he would have been involved in. It's just kind of sad that he, he's not going to be able to, to see that. Yeah. Uh, what's really funny. What's really funny about that is I was listening to Matt from monstrosities talk last night. And apparently Akira Takarada was the voice of, um, 
uh, what the hell is that cat's name? Metasoph, I don't know, whatever. He was the voice of one of the fucking cats in the live action cats movie. Oh, um, the Japanese, the Japanese version, the Japanese version. Yeah. He was, he was the voice of one of the cats. Uh, he was also the voice of Jafar in the Japanese release of Aladdin, Disney's Aladdin. So that's, that was really interesting. Um, so yeah, he has so much, he's had so much reach outside of just mm-hmm. the Kaiju stuff and it feels almost, I don't know, it, it feels a little, it feels almost petty to only want to celebrate the Kaiju stuff. We should be able to celebrate the man for his entire career, what he was able yeah. to accomplish. Uh, which is why I'm going to go back and, and watch some of his older films that are non Kaiju related, you know, like mm-hmm. iron finger or whatever it was. Uh, I want to watch some of those cause I haven't seen mm-hmm. any of those. Like I, I only know him from the Kaiju stuff, but I want to go back and watch that. But I think it's just, I think it's just a genuine, I think it was just a genuine love and respect for, for what he was doing that made him such a, such a wonderful person. And uh, I talked to Danny Demana about it yesterday and you know, you, you know, all of us were, all of us were, um, pretty, just pretty upset about it. But, you know, I, I, I feel bad for the people that actually got to meet him. Cause I never, I've yeah, never met Takarada. It was one of my, it was one of my, it was one of my items that I wanted to do eventually. Like maybe if I got down to Same here. Yeah. I always just, I always thought in the back of my head, like I'll probably meet that guy someday. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because he, because every photo you saw him in, he looked yeah. good. Like he mm-hmm. looked healthy and he was upbeat and jovial. Uh, you did, he was one of those guys, a lot like Betty White. He was a lot of the, he was a lot of those people. He was like a lot of those people that you just knew that he would never go away. Mm-hmm. But you know, the body, the body can only last for so long. So it's just sad, you know, it, it, to lose somebody like that is just, is, is just incredibly sad. And, but you know, I'm, I'm just grateful. I think I, I tweeted, um, I tweeted from the Kaiju ramen account yesterday, just saying that, you know, it's, it's a tragedy, just paraphrasing. It's, it's a tragedy, but you know, just, just thankful for the memory mm-hmm. of Takarada and, and what he brought to, and what he brought to all of us. And just as a sneak peek, um, we're actually going to be, uh, Kaiju ramen. The magazine is actually going to be featuring, uh, some, we're going to be doing some stuff online. We're going to be doing some blog, we're going to be doing some retrospective stuff through the blog. Uh, I think we've got a memorial video planned. We're going to have a discussion with a bunch of us together and we're going to talk about Takarada's life and his career, but we're going to have an issue of a full issue of Kaiju ramen dedicated to the human characters. Um, and I know there's going to, given the fact that we just lost him, where it's going to be a big focus, at least a couple of different mm-hmm. articles. They're going to, if not just the cover art itself is going to be a big focus on, on Akira Takarada. And so I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be our way of honoring, of honoring. I think that's name. why, I think that's why the, the Kaiju part of his career, you know, which, you know, obviously I think that's the, the most popular stuff of his but i think you know the the part that makes that so special is that you know that was something that so many people got to be a part of you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think in that way it's a little bit more special than you know some of the more niche parts of his career is because like he was front and center he was the leading man for this you know genre like you know westerns had mr hansen westerns is what had they john him. wayne and yeah. shit you know this was the guy for monster movies and like that's really fucking cool and it's also really cool that like we all got to live at the same time as him you know what i mean he was making movies he was talking to people and like i was saying earlier about how 
a lot of these people, these like industry people, you know, thought of these movies as they were coming out. It's like, you know, this is just a job. Like, you know, this is just work. I basically, you know, perform for, for a paycheck. And I think that's, you know, you look at a guy like Russ Tamblin, who, you know, was like very self-serious and like, you know, I'm too good for this shit, you know, actors who have an ego. And I think, you know, with a lot of people, Takarada's age from Japan, you know, they're really just happy to be remembered because, you know, that was just work. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, if you fix up cars, it's like, you know, being thanked 40 years later for a car you fixed, you know, he, he got, he got the yeah. love and appreciation, you know, that was always due to him, you know, a little bit later. And I think that's why he was, you know, so cool about it. And it's, it's just really cool that he, you know, to think about, you know, the, the last movie he was in hasn't even come out yet. You know, God, the first Godzilla looks so fucking old. You know what I mean? It is old, yeah. but also it looks very old. And it's yeah. just crazy to think that was the same guy. That was the same guy the whole yeah. time. It's just crazy. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to celebrate there. And, you know, to an extent, it's just cool, like, you know, going on Twitter and, you know, hearing everybody say Akira Takarada, knowing immediately who that is. You know, there's something to be said about that's That's a quite a fucking legacy to leave behind. Oh, absolutely. For, for such a, for such a niche genre, uh, it's, it is, it is, it's, it's been, it's been really interesting. And he's making headlines. You know what I mean? He's making headlines with like big publications or saying, you know, Godzilla actor Akira Takarada. So like, you know. Yeah, he was in, um, he was, I saw a HuffPo article come across. I just saw someone texting me a Daily Beast article. I don't read any of those publications, but I mm-hmm. saw those variety things come, variety did a spot on him um, in all these like big time publications kind of acknowledging like who he was. It, mm-hmm. it was special, you know, it was, it was very special and it makes, and it makes fans like us feel like it to, to a very small degree. And I don't mean this to be selfish or self aggrandizing in any way, but it makes fans like us feel a little bit validated to, to have one of the people that we looked up to, you know, mem- uh, uh, memorialized in such mm-hmm. a way. Yeah, to to know that like our positions as fans and you know the the number and and presence of us has helped him, you know, achieve recognition that he was always deserved. And on that note, I'd like to announce that Giant Monster BS is going to Japan. What a segue. (laughs) Matt's not here, but guess where he will be? Japan in two years. Good for you, buddy. We're so good for you guys. Uh, Are you going, are you going to film? Are you guys going to film anything there? Are you just going just because? Uh, I'm planning on making, um, we don't really know. We want to build towards some kind of project. We're going basically, it's just like a vacation with friends, but, uh, we're trying to hit a lot of the giant monster hotspots. I want to visit, you know, Toho Studios, and uh, there's like a restaurant in Tokyo that's like Ultraman themed, and uh, you know, we're gonna try to hit a bunch of places like Tokyo Tower and stuff where giant monster scenes have been filmed. You got the Museum of Tokusatsu there in Japan. I think it's somewhere in Tokyo. I think actually, I tell you, a good person to ask because he's already, he's been there. Uh, Danny Demana. If you ever get up with Dan- if you ever get up with Danny, mm-hmm. ask him where some good places to go because he did the whole tour. I think it was um, 
it's been a few years. It's been around the, it was around the time uh, of the Shin Godzilla premiere, but he was there and he did the, he did the tour and he got to see all the things he got to go to, you know, uh, Toho studios, go to the, the, the museum of Tokusatsu. And then I'm sure there's a ton of stuff yeah. more to do there now. Uh, but yeah, good for y'all like that. Good for y'all. I was just curious if y'all were doing like some kind of, if you were filming something there, like a little documentary, or if you were just going just to have the experience. I'm planning on putting together some kind of documentary, but for me, it's like, you know, I've got to know what the documentary is going to be about first. You know what I mean? You know, because you know, then where's the line of like home movie? Like this is our vacation, you know, you know, I want it to be building to something. And Matt suggested that when we get back, we could, um, we could review Japan itself as an episode, uh, which, you know, I kind of like that episode. I also kind of like the idea of like recording an episode from Japan, I, but you know, we're still working out the details. It's a long way away, but uh, you know, sure. and, and that's something we've, it's an, ex- it's going to be an expensive trip. It's going to be an expensive trip. <laughs> you don't so need you gotta, yeah. you gotta, sa- uh, you gotta save some money. Uh, yeah. That's why it's two years away. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's something we've only like dreamt of since this started, but you know, I mean, we've always wanted to go, but it's in the back of our mind. It's like, you know, I might not ever get to go there. So it's yeah, given given the state of the world and the and the state of how things that too. are, you yeah, just, you just never know. You just never know, man. But uh, yeah, things are starting to look better now. I, I took a lot of stuff from uh, there's like a G Fest tour this year going to. Japan and they have like their itinerary on their website so I just stole a bunch of shit from that <laughs> Good job. Uh, you know a bunch of Godzilla and giant monster hotspots it's hard to find out where giant monster movies were filmed there's oh. that information is not readily available and I don't feel like buying books to, to learn that well if you if you can uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll want to go to oh what's the castle I can I can't remember what the, what the name of the castle is in King Kong versus Godzilla I know there's a lot of castles in there. Yeah, you like you'll want to try to go yeah. there, maybe go to Osaka, you know, places. Yeah, we're gonna hit Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, and Hiroshima. Mm. I know that, and then I want to go to one or two other smaller places. Yeah. Um, but we might see. Thinking about putting the 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 Buddha statue from the Great Buddha arrival. Um, you know, that's a real place, and that that factors into the plot of that movie a lot. I forgot what that it's like the diet building or something that's been in like a yeah ton the, of, the capital building yeah yeah there, there's a ton of movies that have done shit there from like the first godzilla to uh to mothra to king kong versus godzilla yeah, to mothra king kong yeah I, there, one of the more recent i'd say recent one of the millennium movies was there anyway we're very excited i just wanted to announce that because Hopefully that will factor into the stuff we're putting out. Shooting for a small documentary and some kind of special podcast episode when that happens many years from now. Well, congratulations. Sounds like a lot of fun. I'm I'm a little bit jealous. I'm not going to lie. You'll get there. Maybe not, a bit. Huh? eventually. Eventually I'll get there. I'd like to go to yeah. I'd like to go to several places. Probably go to uh, I'd like to go to Japan, go to Scotland, Ireland, you know, see a little bit of the UK. Um, Michael, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Uh, 
this was been of a it's been a one of a kind experience. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks, thanks for uh, thanks, Grattan, for letting me come on. Uh, I did not realize how timely this episode was going to be because at the time you asked me to do this, uh, uh, to our knowledge, Akira Takarada was still alive. Uh, so right. So there's I didn't that. know until today. So there was that. Um, I watched Latitude Zero yesterday and thinking, wow, Akira Takarada is still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Egg on my face. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yep. But yeah, the, this was a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Thank you, Grattan, for uh, thank you, Grattan, for inviting me. And thank you, Matt. Uh, for some reason, I want to interchange you guys. I don't know why. Maybe you're the same person. But thank you, Matt, for being away so that I could come on here and and talk with talk with Grattan. So maybe I agree. <laughs> uh, so you, we'll have to. Travis and I will definitely have to have you guys on at some point. I just don't know when we got to find the right we got to find the right movie to have you guys on for sure i was just going to say if you want to find out everything that i'm involved in uh, go check out kaiju weekly uh we're just a podcast that likes to uh talk about monster movies and uh celebrate them for what they are uh silly or silly all the silly campiness uh is fine with us um also you can go listen to my solo show the power trip a journey through the power rangers franchise i do with our good friend nathan marchand where we did where we talk about the power rangers franchise in a little bit greater detail we go through season by season instead of episode by episode like a lot of ranger podcasts do and there is a uh, i did that podcast to go along with an article series i'm writing for kaiju ramen magazine uh just published issue five digitally uh, issue five physically will be out in a couple of weeks we just got the proofs uh, approved so those have taken a little bit longer than they normally do but we're changing a little bit of our printing process so it does we're going from a just a staple bound book to a glue bound uh square back book so that does take a little bit longer to 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 produce so just be patient there guys uh anything kaiju ramen related just go to kaijuramanmedia.com you can even find links to the podcasts and things that we're involved in uh kaiju weekly the power trip and the henshinman podcast uh, with uh, travis and nathan and you can find all of us on twitter just hanging out and goofing off and uh hopefully not pissing people off so there you go Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Yeah, I'll let them. But yeah, thank you for joining me. Thank you for doing this last minute. Uh, yeah. We did this because Matt was out of town. Thank you for being the first person besides Matt to review a movie with me. I definitely. I've been here before. To... I've been here before. No, we did an interview before. That's we what... we didn't review a movie. We didn't yeah, review... this is, I... That's right. We didn't review a movie. That's right. Okay. You're in an official episode. This is episode sixty. The big six zero. Oh shoot! I feel shit. I feel sixty. But okay. Thanks. Thanks, guys. The Takarata Death Special. <laughs> oh God! Don't don't say. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I haven't done, I have not done speed in so long. Um, <laughs>